Welcome to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. My name is Roy Biancolana, and today we are finishing uh, part three of a three-part series that I have titled Relationship Basic Training. And very briefly, the whole idea has been to try to summarize all the information that's out there in the world about relationships into something that's very manageable and very understandable it's kind of a K-I-S-S thing. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> I feel like there's people in my audience say, Roy, can keep it simple, stupid, right? Can you, can you nut it out for me? Can you give me the basics of what I need to focus on in my pursuit of intimacy? And I'm like, good idea. Let's do a, a series where we just get down to the fundamentals, the basics, we separate all the stuff that isn't valuable and really isn't necessary. What should I focus on? And so in part one, I talked about the basics of kind of getting yourself ready for a relationship. I called it the basics of getting clear. We need to clear some things out of our own lives first. In other words, before we think about connecting with someone else, we need to do some inner work. That was part one. And then in part two, we talked about the basics of getting connected. How do I meet someone? What are the essential issues in making a healthy connection with someone? Okay, that was part two last week. Now this week, we're going to talk about once you have a, a connection going, right? You have some chemistry. You, you've been on maybe a couple dates and you're thinking, hey, you know, we, we might have something here. Now the focus becomes, what are the basics of getting close? So getting clear, getting connected, getting close. What are the basics of real intimacy? What a huge topic that is, right? I could give you 50 different ideas on intimacy. And I've said, no, no. Now what's really important? What, what, what do you really need to know about taking a connection and making something special out of it. So I've come up with just three things, just three basics in the phase of getting close with someone. And the first one is compatibility. You have to explore compatibility because we all know that chemistry is essential. Chemistry is wonderful, but you need more than that to actually make a long-term relationship, right? I mean, frankly, you could have chemistry with someone who's married, right? I mean, you, you just feel chemistry. You feel sexual attraction. That doesn't mean you can make a relationship with them. You follow me? So we need to talk about this issue of compatibility, and that's the first basic about getting close, is are we truly compatible? And this is where we get into a discussion. One of the things that maybe I should have included in my rant episode is how people misunderstand uh, compatibility or they emphasize things that are really not that important and they don't pay attention to things that really are important in terms of being compatible. Right now, I'm not going to go into a full-blown deep discussion of this because I've already done it in podcast number nine. You go to my show page, scroll down to the very early days of this podcast a couple years ago. I did a whole podcast on compatibility, what's important, what's not. I think that's the title of it, and it's podcast number nine. But let me give you the gist of it right here very quick and simple. Most of us, when we think about compatibility, 
Think about things that you really don't have to have in order to have a great relationship. You really don't need to have a bunch of things in common. You don't need to have a bunch of shared interests. You don't need to have the same hobbies and stuff like that. In fact, you can have very little in common and have very few shared interests and be unbelievably compatible together. Because I maintain that you don't need to like the same music and you don't need to like to go to concerts together. One person can love music and love concerts and and you hate that stuff. And you can still be very compatible. You don't need to both like golf or yoga or some other hobby. It's nice when you do meet someone that you have chemistry with and they also love to do something that you love to do. That's great. I'm just here to tell you that it's not necessary to be really compatible. You, you don't have to find someone who likes to do all the things you do. They, they don't have to like going to art galleries. They don't have to like um, the same sports. I mean, my wife and I, we, we don't have hardly anything in common. <laughs> but we are completely compatible. I mean, I love sports. My whole life has been about sports. She, doesn't, she not only doesn't like sports, she doesn't know anything about them. I have been with my wife for going on 17 years now, and she still doesn't know the basic golf language. Okay? So I'll go out and I will shoot, say, 68, which is four under par. That's how you say it. I shot four under today. And she'll say, Roy, did, you, you shot 68. So that's, that's, that's under four, right? <laughs> like, she doesn't know what the word par means or birdie or bogey. I mean, she doesn't play golf. She has no interest in golf. And yet we're completely compatible. But yet golf is a huge part of my life and my history. It's just that I don't need her to like golf. It doesn't matter. So what does matter in compatibility? I'm telling you what matters is that you want to live the same lifestyle. It doesn't matter whether you like music or art or tennis or shopping or whatever. You need to want to live the same lifestyle. Now, what does that mean? Well, that can mean anything from, you know, we both want to live like in the city and be double income, no kids, or we both want to live in the country and raise horses, um, or we, we both want children. We both don't want children. See, if one person wants to have kids and the other one doesn't, I don't care how much chemistry you have. I don't care if you love playing golf together. You're not compatible. Because you want a different lifestyle. Because having kids or not having kids is a lifestyle. It can even be that way with religion or politics or different things. So you need to want to live the same lifestyle. See, my wife and I, we live a very simple, very quiet life. We are, neither one of us are big social animals. We don't go to parties. We don't host parties. We, you know, we, we spend a lot of time sitting at home in the evening watching movies together on the couch. That's a lifestyle, right? What do you do most nights? After work, well, we sit on the couch, we have dinner together, and we put on Netflix, and we love that. We enjoy that. I'm not sitting there saying, I'm bored, I want to get out, let's go, let's party, let's go to a club, let's go dancing. And she's like, no, I want to stay home and live a quiet, you know, relaxed little life. No, we are very compatible in our general lifestyle. They fit together. That's what you need to find out about. Right? I don't care how great your chemistry is. If you want to live a different lifestyle than each other, it ain't going anywhere. And the other one I might point to is you need to have shared commitments. 
not shared interests or shared hobbies, but you need shared values. You need shared commitments. You need to share and be aligned in the way you function as a couple. In other words, take when you have an, an some drama between the two of you. You have an argument. There's a conflict. Okay? A couple different ways you can deal with a problem or with conflict. You can be a blamer, someone who sees a problem and wants to point the thing. Whose fault is this? And you have to apologize. So you can be a blamer when it comes to conflict. Or you could be someone who, when there's conflict, asks themselves, okay, how am I responsible for this? What am I missing about myself? What's my part in creating this drama? What can I learn about myself? What can I change that would make a difference in the difficulty we're having? Do you see that? Those are two completely different values. They're completely different ways of functioning in a relationship. One person is saying, I'm a, I want to take responsibility. The other person is saying, I want to assign responsibility. I'm a, I'm a responsibility taker. I'm a finger pointer. You are never compatible like that. You are functioning on completely different wavelengths. Same way with communication, which I'll get to in a minute. You can be a person who wants to be a revealer. You're committed to revealing. You want to be honest and transparent and you don't want to withhold anything. You don't want to tell half-truths. You want to be really honest with your inner experience. And even if it's scary, even if you think the other person might not like what you're going to tell them, you, you, you're not wanting to protect anyone's feelings. You're not wanting to hide anything to protect yourself. You want to be a revealer. And the other person is committed to playing games, to only saying what they think they need to say to control the situation or to not get them in trouble or to not upset anyone. And so they withhold, they tell half-truths, they leave things out, they keep secrets, right? That's incompatible. You are functioning by different rules, right? You're playing by different rules, okay? So one of the things that I long for is for people who find a new connection, you know, calling me up and saying, Roy, send me your dating manifesto because I've written something called the dating manifesto. It's 10 commitments of conscious dating and relating and living. And it basically is a blueprint for how, if you want to live consciously, these are the things you commit to, okay? And every one of the commitments has a conventional commitment, right? The conventional way of dealing with a problem is to blame and to find fault. The conscious way is to take responsibility, right? The conventional way of communicating is to play games and to withhold and to try to control you know, how a person sees you and how a, a, how a relationship goes by withholding and, you know, sharing this and not sharing that and trying to say it this way so nobody takes this impression. You know, it's playing games. That, that's a conventional way of communicating. The conscious way is to reveal, is to just be honest and let the chips fall where they may and try to deal with the real truth between two people. Okay, so I long for people call me up and say, send me this dating manifesto because my guy and me or my woman and me were on like our third or fourth date. And I think we should have a conversation about these commitments to see, do we both want to live by them? See, because then you're compatible. If the two of you have a desire to want the same lifestyle, like your lives fit together. That's why, by the way, that's why you don't get married based on chemistry, meaning you don't get married the first time you meet someone. Why? Because you don't know what their life is about. You don't know what they want with their life. You don't know where their life is going. You don't know about their lifestyle. So when you're dating someone, you're kind of seeing 
do we fit? Does our lifestyles fit? Like you might meet someone and have great chemistry, but they are living a schedule and living a life that you guys can't even find time for a date because you're doing this and you're going that way and they're doing this and going that way and you'd be lucky to see each other once a month. Well, listen, (laughs) I mean, we might have great sex. We might have incredible chemistry, but our lifestyles don't match at all. I mean, what are we doing here? Okay. But the same thing happens with these commitments is you get them in front of you and you get to look at each other and say, yes, I really do want these commitments to be our relationship rules. And sure, you'll fail at them and sometimes you'll withhold something and sometimes you'll blame somebody for how you're feeling or something like that. Sure, we all slip up. Nobody's perfect. But when a couple has these commitments as the core of their relationship where they say, like, these are our relationship vows. In fact, I think I did a podcast called, you know, getting clear on your relationship vows before you even meet someone. <laughs> like, what do you want to vow to someone when you get married? What are your vows? And you should know your vows before you even start dating because you want to live your vows as you're dating. You just don't start to be honest on the day of your wedding. You don't start to be faithful and monogamous on the day of your wedding, right? <laughs> right? So you know the vows that you want to, to say on your wedding day, and you know the vows that you want to hear. Well, those are your commitments, vows, commitments, rules. It's all the same words. It's like, this is how we want to do our relationship. So compatibility is when two people want to do a relationship the same way. We play by the same rules. And very often people don't want to play by the same rules. They really don't. And they fight all the time because they're not compatible. So that's a little bit on compatibility. Okay? Some things are just not important to to be aligned on. And other things like your lifestyle and your relationship commitments, you better be aligned there. And if you are, you're compatible. And if 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 you're not, then you're in trouble. Okay? The second thing you need to focus on in, in taking out a relationship where there's some connection and you want to make it into something special and close is you need to master the skill, and it really is a skill, of celebrating your differences. Okay? You, even though you might meet someone and you do have some things in common. And even though you might want the same lifestyle, and even though you share these commitments, you're going to find that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. You're going to find that you're really different from each other. (laughs) You're going to find that you might live at a different pace of life. You might handle money differently. You might deal with emotions a little differently. You you might kind of manage your energy a little bit differently, right? You might have different senses of humor in a sense. You might process information and make decisions differently, right? So my wife and I are unbelievably opposite from each other. Right, I want to be in the spotlight. I, I love being seen. I love talking. She does not want to be seen. She doesn't want to be in public. She would die to. to she she, could, she can't even imagine doing her own podcast. She just it doesn't even compute to her. Okay, so the woman moves at a snail's pace. She makes decisions. Takes forever. Okay. I'm impetuous, I'm impulsive, I move quickly, I talk quickly, I drive fast. I mean that when I we can't if we get into a car, I have to drive. I can't stand it if she's driving. 
She drives too slow, and she's just the way she handles a car. It just it just drives me insane. Okay, so we we are we are so opposite from each other. Now, have you noticed that in the beginning of a relationship, all the ways that you're opposite are so cute? Oh, it's so cute the way you are. Oh, it's so adorable that you're this. And it's, oh, it's so attractive. Like my wife might have said, oh, he's so aggressive and he, he's so on purpose and he's, he's such a go-getter. Oh, I really admire that, right? And I, when I first met her, she's so calm and cool and collected and peaceful. It's like, oh, that's so great. It's so adorable. And then you're together for six months to a year or a couple of years. And all of a sudden, all of those things drive you insane. It's like, come on, baby. Can you make a decision for God's sakes? <laughs> you know, you know, it's the flat pedal on the right. If you push it, the car goes faster, right? So all of a sudden, her calm, relaxed pace of life drives me insane. All of a sudden, my aggressiveness, my take chargeness. Don't be so bossy. You're, 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 you have an anger problem. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you get what I'm saying here? The very things in the beginning that are like attractive and adorable can become the sources of your frustration. Now, the solution is not, and this is what we all do. When we start to notice these differences actually bother us, we start to think that my way is right and their way is wrong or it's inefficient or it's not helpful. It's just not the best way. And we start to try to change each other, don't we? We criticize each other. We try to control each other and we try to change each other. You need to be more like me. You need to see my way is the best way. Is that not true? How does that work? Trying to change someone. I met my wife. We were both around 50. We have 50 years of being a certain way. What are my chances of changing her? Fundamentally, what are my chances of making her move at my pace of life? What are her chances of changing me? Right? And what happens when you try to change someone? Do they like that? Do they feel unconditionally loved? No. Changing someone is the opposite of unconditional love. Unconditional love means I love you without condition, meaning I love you like you are, not how I want you to be. I don't love you if you're going to be the way I think you should be. No, I love you like you are. That's love. The other one is just control and manipulation. I don't know what it is, but it's not healthy, right? So here you are. You're with someone who really is going to be different from you in many, many ways. You might not know it when you first get connected. You might not know it in the first two, three months of your relationship. But as you get closer and closer, you're going to find out, oh my God, this person thinks in bizarre ways. The way they process information, the way they make decisions, the way they handle things, the way they respond to pressure, to stress, the way they deal with conflict in their families. And oh my God. I mean, it's like, you're going to find out that you're living with an alien, somebody from a different planet. They're very opposite of you. There's a reason for that. Opposites attract. In fact, the next series I'm going to do in this podcast is titled something along the lines of relationship laws. We're going to look at the laws that govern relationships. And one of them is the law of opposites. You are going to attract your opposite. <laughs> okay. So you're in a relationship with someone who's different than you. At first, it's adorable. Now it becomes sort of annoying. The options are, I'm going to change you or I'm going to celebrate you. Now, we've already talked about good luck trying to change someone. 
even if you could, it's going to create resentment. Because when you're trying to change someone, what are you, what are you telling them? You're not okay the way you are. You're not good. You're not right. You're doing something wrong. You're bad. You're, I don't know what words you want to use, but you are being negative. That person's got something wrong with them. That's why they need to change. And that usually does not create closeness. <laughs> okay? So you can't change them. And if you did and you try, you're going to create resentment and bitterness and you're going to end up breaking up. But they're still different than you. So the only way you become close is if you learn to celebrate your differences. You have to learn to frame the other person's differences as a positive for you and your relationship. You have to see that God or the universe has put you with this freak, with this person from a different planet on purpose, and it's for your good. It's actually good for your relationship that you're different. It's actually good for you that you're with a person who sees the world differently than you. That's actually a positive. Yes, it can be annoying, and sometimes it can be really aggravating. But deep down, if you want to create closeness, you have to have the idea and the belief and the core commitment that our differences are worth celebrating. They're good. They're healthy. They're necessary. So me is this aggressive, take charge, move fast, make decisions in a hurry. I need a woman who moves slowly, who's cautious, who's more thoughtful, who will say, wait a minute, let's think about this. Slow down a minute, right? Because if I'm left to myself, I'll go right off the cliff. There have been so many times where that woman has annoyed the shit out of me because She's slow and she's thoughtful and she needs to think about it and she needs to take some time. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, right? And it's turned out that because she slowed us down, it saved us. Now, there have been times where I have pulled her, let's go. And she will tell you, I really needed a kick in the ass. It annoys me that he's always pulling, that he's pushing that he's in a hurry, that he wants to make a decision. But there have been times when I was allowed to be led by him like that, where it was the best thing to do. So she's learned to celebrate this freak that she lives with. And I've learned to celebrate that freak that I live with. Our differences benefit us. Because if you haven't noticed, all of us are lopsided psychologically, right? That's what I'm describing. I'm more aggressive, take charge, type A, right? That's lopsided because I don't have access. Like there's a part of, I, like I need to develop the part of me that is more cautious and more thoughtful and a, a little bit more... Um, take your time with this, right? To be a well-rounded person, I need to be both decisive and thoughtful. If I'm one or the other, I'm fucked. So the universe has put together my lopsided wife with my lopsidedness, and we happen to be opposite lopsidedness. (laughs) But we balance each other. Do you follow me? So the reasons that it's beneficial to be different is it's protective. See, if, if both of us were risk takers or both of us were savers or both of us were highly social, right? We might, our relationship might get weird. It might get skewed. It might get really out of balance. We might get in financial trouble, <laughs> right? But when one person is more cautious and more of a saver, it's annoying to the spender but it's probably better for the couple, right? Because the saver might need to loosen up a little bit, relax, right? There's an abundance. We're okay. 
Let's spend some money. Let's do something, something fun, something maybe extravagant that might be good for the couple. But sometimes the person saying, no, we need to save. That might come in handy when there's a pandemic and now you have a bunch of money you saved over the years. Whew, pretty, I'm pretty glad we, won't, we, we both weren't spenders before that pandemic and we both lost our jobs, right? So, so this is the perspective that helps you get close. Because if you view differentness as a bad thing and then you want to try to be right and make the person like you, you'll never get close. You'll never have a relationship grow. You'll have great chemistry. By the, by the six-month mark, it'll start to fizzle out. You'll start to fight. It, and, and you're going to end up breaking up because you end up pushing each other away when you don't see the other person as your ally, which is one of the commitments on the dating manifesto. That commitment says that I see everybody in my life, but especially my partner as my ally, that they are put in my life to teach me or show me the most important things I need for my growth. So if I need to grow, then, I, then I'm going to have people in my life show up that are different than me. And they're going to challenge me on something that I don't see or something that I'm missing or something that you know, I'm not doing in my life. So I need, in other words, we always hear this in business or sometimes in politics. This guy has a bunch of yes men around him. Bunch of people that always just agree with him. Yes, Mr. President. Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Yes, let's do that. Yes, let's blow these people up. Let's buy this company. Let's uh, downsize this and let's fire these employees. You surround yourself with yes men. That's going to backfire, is it not? The ego loves it, but it's really not healthy. You want people around you in business or politics that will, that will say, hey, you're fucking up here. No, this isn't right. I see it differently. I have a different opinion. Whoa, slow down, right? That's healthy, right? We all want our president to have people in his ear with dissenting opinions because there's more thoughtfulness brought to something. Nobody's going off half-cocked. Same in business. Well, what about your individual relationship? Oh, no, I want my spouse to agree with everything I do and be just like me and, and, and think the same way and believe the same things and have the same politics and have the same ideas and all that. And you will make mistakes because of that, if it was even possible to find someone like that. But you would never be attracted to them because the law of opposites says you're going to attract your opposite. Okay? We're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks, which is fun because the law of attraction says like attracts like, but the law of opposites says opposites attract. So how do you square that one? That's contradictory. That's coming up next week okay? because they're not contradictory. Just need more understanding of what each of those laws is saying. So... These, this is just a huge issue that you need to focus on. If you don't know how to celebrate your differences, you're never going to get close. And if you don't know what real compatibility is, oh my God, you're never going to get close, <laughs> right? And the last one is, if you don't know how to communicate, you are never going to get close. And I am here to tell you that most people don't know how to talk. That's right. I know you know the English language or Spanish or French. Maybe you're bilingual. Maybe you could speak five languages. It doesn't mean you know how to talk. It doesn't mean you not know how to speak in a way that ends drama and creates harmony and connection. Oh yeah, all of us know how to talk in a way that creates drama and disharmony and argument and division. Oh man, we are fluent in the ability to create conflict and arguments and difficulty. But we don't know the first thing about knowing how to talk in ways that end drama 
and arguments and create harmony and connection. And so if there is one skill that you must have in order to be close with an intimate partner and maybe frankly with any relationship, but certainly in an intimate relationship, you have to learn how to speak unarguably. You need to learn how to speak in a way that ends drama and creates understanding and connection rather than conflict. And I'm maintaining that none of us know how to do this. And the reason we don't is because no one's ever taught us this. You didn't learn this in your family of origin. I'm about to tell you what speaking unarguably is and how to do it. I'm telling you right now, you were never taught this in your home. You were never taught this in school. You were never taught this in church. You won't learn it in movies. You won't learn it in 99.9% of self-help books. You might learn something about this if you took a really good psychology class, a really good one. Or you might learn this if you talked to a therapist or a coach who is on a conscious path. Okay? So I'm not saying that what I'm about to teach you about speaking unarguably is unknown to anyone but me. <laughs> no, that's that's not it. But what I'm saying is for the general public, we don't know how to talk in a way that creates connection and harmony and understanding. But we do know how to talk in ways that create problems and drama and misunderstanding and judgment and arguments and stuff like that. Now, I've been thinking about how am I going to share this with you? And it came to my mind that in my book, Relationship Boot Camp, I have an entire chapter that's titled Learning to Speak Unarguably. <laughs> chapter 19 of my book is all about that. And I think if I remember right, it probably took me about a month to write this one chapter. Okay. So I painstakingly went over every word and every idea and thought it through and wrote it and rewrote it and edited it and changed it and deleted it and started over. And I put so much time and energy into it that there is no way that I can be here on this podcast off the cuff and do a better job of describing what it means to learn to speak unarguably than I did in that book. So I'm not going to read it word for word, but I am going to follow very closely and I'm going to read some, some of it directly from the book, but I'm going to follow what I said in the book and share it here with you. And I would encourage you, first of all, if you've never read my book, Relationship Bootcamp, Hardcore Training for Life, Love, and the Pursuit of Intimacy, it's just a must read. It, it really is one of the best books on the market in terms of people that want to attract lasting love. I, I know I wrote it, but it, it really is. And other people have said it. But in chapter 19, I go into basically learning how to talk, <laughs> right? Because this is the third component of what it means to be close. Yeah, you got to be compatible. Yeah, you got to be able to look at your partner and say you're different and I celebrate that. But you have to know how to talk in a way that creates connection and not division. Otherwise, you're going to be divided and in conflict and in drama versus living in harmony and closeness and, and frankly, bliss. So I'm going to follow chapter 19 and I encourage you to buy the book and read it also. And what I do in this chapter is interesting is I came, I tell a story of a former client. It's an actual true story. And I got my client's permission to write about it in the book. Okay. So I didn't do this behind the person's back. I have changed the names, of course. Um, but I got their permission because I was working with someone a number of years ago and 
this idea of learning how to talk came up because she had just started dating this guy and they were, they had great chemistry and they were starting to work on getting close and they had a big, big fight. And so in this chapter, I, I write about their fight. I actually quote what they said because she told me word for word what was being said. Okay. So I share that with you. And then I explain what it is to speak unarguably. I, I describe it to you. And then I, I retell their story and their argument as if they knew how to speak unarguably when they had the first fight. So it's like a before and after. This is how the fight went when they didn't know how to talk to each other consciously. And then this is how that fight could have gone if they did know how to speak unarguably. And in between those, I explain what it means to speak unarguably. Does that, are you following me on that? Does that make sense? Okay. So hopefully it does. And so let me just start with what I say here in chapter 19. Tammy, a former client of mine, has been dating Phil for a couple of months and things are going great. She was crazy about him. And from what I could tell, he was crazy about her too. But she was withholding from him. And she knew that if she didn't get naked and reveal her inner truth, this relationship would fall apart like all of her other relationships had. Okay, so just as an aside, this client really recognized that she had a habit of withholding things for fear of it upsetting her partner, of getting rejected or causing a problem. So she was someone who just held things back and really didn't, she wasn't really being honest and transparent in her former relationships. And so now she's starting this, this with this guy and she notices and she tells me in a session, I'm doing it again. I, I got this issue going on in my life and I haven't told Phil everything about it. Okay. So here's the backstory. Tammy had hired a headhunter to help her find a new job. And she told Phil about that, of course. But what she left out was that she had previously dated the headhunter for about a year. Okay. She left that part out. And while it was a long time ago, you know, and she didn't have any romantic interest in him. And I believed her when she told me that. Tammy did respect this guy professionally. And since they knew each other pretty well, because she dated him for a year, she thought he might be the ideal person to help her with her job search. Okay? Makes sense, right? Tammy knew, however, that if she wanted to truly relate with Phil and not play games, she needed to take the risk of revealing everything to him. So, I mean, she needed to tell him the part that she left out. So one day they were in the kitchen together. This is what she told me. They were in the kitchen together, and this is how the conversation went. Tammy said this, Hey, Phil, there's something I haven't told you about my headhunter, and it's really bothering me. In past relationships, I often withheld things that I thought might upset my partner. But I want us to be truly honest with with each other, and I haven't been honest with you. Phil's response was, okay, what is it? Now, I want you to listen very closely to how this conversation goes, because it's going to be juxtaposed to the way it could have went if they had learned to speak unarguably. So that first paragraph about Tammy, I have a headhunter, I, I, I haven't been honest with you, that's going to be the same. The, the issue is still the same. It's just now how do we then deal with it? So Phil's initial response is, okay, what is it? Tammy replies, a number of years ago, I dated him. We were together for about a year. I don't have any romantic interest in him whatsoever, but he's good at his job and I thought he might be able to help me. Phil says, what? That's bullshit. There are plenty of headhunters in the world. Why would you choose someone you had slept with? You know he just wants to fuck you again. And you get off on male attention. 
Don't give me some bullshit that you're just friends. It's more than that, and you know it. Tammy responded, He doesn't want to have sex with me, and we are just friends. I can't believe you're so jealous. There's nothing going on. And who are you to talk anyway? You go to bars with your buddies all the time. And I know how many women friends you have. I've seen how they look at you. And I've seen how you flirt with them. If anyone needs attention, it's you, not me. Phil says, I'm not jealous. And don't you dare turn this around and make it be about me. This is about you and how naive and needy you are. He wants you. And I think you know it. And you get off on it. I can't trust you because one man will never be enough for you. You'll always need some other guy hitting on you. And then Tammy says, I knew I shouldn't have told you. You're so insecure and jealous. Why do I even bother? And at this point, she told me that she stormed out of the room and locked herself in the bedroom. Okay? Now, like I say in the book, I write, well, that got out of hurry in a, in, in, in a, in a, that got out of hand in a hurry, didn't it? <laughs> and maybe you were expecting that when they had this conversation, it was going to be some sort of uh, beautiful connection between the two of them. But in fact, the story turned out to be just the opposite. So perhaps it leaves you wondering, you know, does honesty and openness, in fact, lead to drama and conflict? Yes, it does. If you don't ha- know how to speak unarguably. So in this next section of the book, it's the, the subheading is called learning how to talk. <laughs> so I write, you know, in this chapter, I'm going to teach you how to talk. Does that sound silly? On the surface, it might, but actually it's not. Like Tammy and Phil, most of us are quite good at speaking in a way that creates drama and discord, but very few of us know how to communicate in a way that creates connection and communion. And to do that, we need to learn the skill of speaking unarguably. And it is a skill. Make no mistake about it. Speaking unarguably is not a gift, a talent, or some form of special ability that you're born with. Like playing the piano, this is something you have to learn how to do. But once you master this skill, you'll be able to end drama and connect authentically with people in ways you have never thought possible. So before I circle back to Tammy and Phil's situation and show you what could have happened if they knew how to speak unarguably, I need to explain what speaking unarguably means because it's sort of a weird phrase. Okay? So speaking unarguably unarguably means saying things that no one could argue or disagree with. It's as simple as that. But it carries a profound implication. If you don't say anything that anyone could argue with, do you see that you would never have an argument? Right? By definition, it's impossible. The only way to have an argument is by saying something others could argue with. Now, of course, you could say something that someone might not like. Like if my wife said to me, Roy, I don't love you anymore and I want a divorce. That's unarguable. But I don't like it. Do you follow me? So, of course, they might say something that you don't like. But if what you're saying is unarguable, they can't argue with it, and therefore it won't create any drama. Consequently, you can immediately stop any argument or prevent one from ever happening in the first place by never saying anything that anyone could argue or disagree with. And if you master this skill, you can go the rest of your life without ever experiencing drama again. Boom. Okay, so what is unarguable? Because that, that's the catch, right? There, there's always a catch. What, what is unarguable? And it comes down to the fact that very few things are truly unarguable. In fact, the only things that are, are your thoughts, your body sensations, your feelings, and your wants. 
That's it. Maybe other than, you know, the laws of physics or a mathematical problem, the only things that are not arguable are your thoughts and sensations and emotions and wants. So in other words, if you only talk about those four things, you will never experience drama or conflict. So let me explain. Thoughts. The first thing that is unarguable is what you're thinking about, including things you're picturing or imagining or remembering. So I give you an example here. If you say, I'm having the thought that a chocolate shake from Dairy Queen would taste amazing right now. Who could argue with that? I mean, that is what you're thinking, right? Therefore, it's unarguable. You're having the thought that a chocolate shake would be amazing right now. I can't argue with that. It's, it's what you're thinking. <laughs> okay? Here's another example. If you say to your partner, I'm having the thought that you don't love me anymore. That might be not that that might not be true. They might in fact still love you. But what's unarguable is that you're having that thought. Do you see the distinction? There's a big difference between having a thought and being right about it. So this person is has the thought, I'm having the thought that you don't love me anymore. No, that might not be true, but what is true is I'm thinking it. Right? So speaking unarguably is not about being right. It's about being real. We all have opinions and judgments and stories and beliefs and likes and dislikes. That's not a problem. They don't cause drama, conflict, or arguments. What causes drama is wanting to be right about them. Drama happens when we confuse our stories, opinions, or beliefs for facts. When we make them capital T, truth. When we are right, that means someone else is wrong, and that's what causes drama and conflict. This is what happened with Tammy and Phil. Initially, Tammy did great. She spoke unarguably by revealing what she had withheld from Phil. But after that, it quickly spiraled into drama because neither of them chose to talk about what was happening inside of them. Instead, they both wanted to be right about who was the real attention addict, and predictably, it turned into a full-blown fight. Okay? Body sensations. Okay, the second thing that is unarguable are the physical sensations occurring in your body. So, for example, if you said, when I hear that you think I don't love you anymore, I notice heaviness in my chest, and I'm finding it hard to breathe, can your partner argue with that? Of course not. How could someone say you don't have heaviness in your chest and you're not finding it hard to breathe? <laughs> right? It doesn't make any sense. They're saying something that is unarguable. Okay? The third thing's feelings. The feelings or emotions that we are experiencing in any given moment are unarguable. So let's go back to our example. When I hear that you think I don't love you anymore, I notice a heaviness in my chest and I'm finding it hard to breathe and I feel really sad. Can anyone disagree with that? Could you argue? Could you say, no, you don't feel sad? Right? Doesn't, doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous because it's an unarguable statement of her feelings. The last is what we call wants. The final thing that is unarguable are things that we want, our desires, our needs, our wishes, our wants. We may or may not be able to get what we want, but it's unarguable that we want it. So again, from our example, when I hear that you think I don't love you anymore, I notice a heaviness in my chest and I'm finding it hard to breathe. I feel really sad and I want to know what I'm doing that's making you feel that way. Believe it or not, if you commit to speaking unarguably by revealing your thoughts, body sensations, feelings, and wants, not only will you end drama, but you'll experience a level of aliveness and clarity and authenticity and connection that you never thought was even possible. 
Okay? So that's what it means to speak unarguably. You're checking in with your inner experience. What are my body sensations? What are my emotions? What are my thoughts? What are my wants? And I'm speaking it. And nobody can argue with it. It's your inner reality. It's your unarguable truth. You're just revealing yourself to the other person. There are no stories being told. There are no judgments. There are none of that. There's no accusations. There's no blame. You're just saying, this is what's happening inside of me. Okay? Now, <laughs> let's return to Tammy and Phil here, okay? Let's take that same argument and let's say that they've been trained and they've practiced and they're skillful in speaking unarguably. So I call it Tammy and Phil 2.0, okay? Here's how the conversation in the kitchen could have went. It starts out the same way. Tammy says, there's something I haven't told you about my headhunter and it's really bothering me. In past relationships, I often withheld things that I thought might upset my partner, but I want us to be truly honest with each other and I haven't been. Phil's response. Notice the difference here right off the bat. Phil says this. Okay. I noticed my stomach just tightened up and I feel scared. And then Phil takes a second to be with his experience by putting his hand on his stomach and breathing into that tightness. Do you see the difference already? Before, Phil just said, okay, what is it? He was kind of already, oh, he was scared, right? But he didn't, he didn't realize it and he didn't communicate it. But here, he immediately is revealing what happened in his body when she said that. My stomach got tight. The emotion came up. I'm scared. And he, he spent a moment with that feeling. He put his hand on his stomach. He took a breath because he was feeling scared. You always breathe when you're scared. Okay? So that's what Phil does. Now, Tammy, Tammy's response, she says, boy, I notice a tingling sensation all over my body when I see you honor your experience like that. Tammy notices Phil seems to be ready to receive what she has to say, and so she continues. Phil, a number of years ago, I dated this headhunter. We were together for about a year. I don't have any romantic interest in him whatsoever, but he's good at his job, and I thought he might be able to help me. Phil, after taking a moment to breathe and check in with himself, Phil says, Wow, I am triggered. I can feel heat in my shoulders and my neck. I feel really angry that you've withheld this from me. And then Phil shrugs his shoulders a number of times. He kind of rolls his head around in circles. He takes a deep breath and lets out a very loud, angry scream. Ah! And once he feels his anger release, he continues and he says, I am making up the story that you still have feelings for him and that I'm not enough for you. I feel heavy pressure in my chest as I say that, and I'm really scared about our relationship. Do you see the difference? Tammy responds by placing her hands on her heart as her eyes fill with tears. Phil, I feel so sad right now. I take complete responsibility for withholding from you, and I totally understand your anger and your thought that I have feelings for him. Truthfully, though, I don't. But what is true is that I thought you'd get jealous and perhaps even leave me if you knew I wanted to reach out to an old boyfriend for career advice. I see that I was trying to control you, your reaction, and possibly the future of our relationship by withholding from you. I am committed to not doing that anymore. And then Phil says, well, what's true about me is that I can be jealous and insecure and you've seen that in me before. So I take responsibility for creating an environment where you might be afraid to be honest with me. And I feel an openness in my chest right now in admitting that. Tammy, there's something that I want. 
Actually, it's more of a request. Would you be willing to fill me in on everything you're doing and talking about with your headhunter, including any romantic feelings or exchanges that might occur? And Tammy says, yes, absolutely. And know that you are enough for me. And at this point, she grabs Phil's hand and she takes him to the bedroom. Folks, that might seem complicated, but you can learn to do that. See, that second interaction, nobody said anything that the other person could argue with. Nobody said anything about you're so jealous and you're insecure and you he just wants to fuck you and you're just hungry for some man's attention. All that stuff is arguable because she could say, no, he doesn't want to fuck me. No, um, you're the one who flirts with people, right? That's arguable, right? And that created an argument. But in this case, they stuck. They were continuing to do check-ins with each other. And they kept reporting what came up inside of them, the unarguable truth of their sensations, their feelings, their thoughts, and their wants. They kept reporting that. So one person would report and the other person would then report what happened inside of them. They kept saying things that were unarguable and they never had an argument. Do you see that? And it ended up with them having sex (laughs) rather than one person running off into the bedroom and slamming the door. You follow me? Now, as I read that to you, I was in my own head thinking my own experience was this is too complicated. This is going to seem overwhelming. This is going to be too hard to do. And it's not. You might think if you sat down at the piano and didn't know how to play a tune, this is too hard. This is too hard to do. I'll never learn how to do that. Yeah. Just learn the scales. Just practice. Keep practicing. Practice. Practice it. Practice it. And pretty soon you'll be able to play a song on the piano. It's just going to take some practice because you've spent your whole life being trained to speak arguably, right? That that initial argument they had, my guess is you're like, oh my God, I've had that argument (laughs) or one almost exactly like it filled with accusation and judgment and stories and projection and blame and you know, turning it around and putting it on the other person. You have done that. You're good at that. You can play Beethoven at speaking arguably and creating drama, right? So can I. We've spent our lives being trained to do that. Watch Fox or CNN. Watch any drama on TV. I mean, just watch anything. That's how people talk. It's who's to blame. It's your fault. It's saying things people could argue with and then they argue with them and they get into a big fight and then they go their separate ways. We all know how to do that. So you're learning a new language. You're learning like if like for me, I only know how to speak English. I don't know any Italian. So if I was going to learn Italian, that might take some time, right? Some practice. That's what this is. You're learning a new language. To speak unarguably is like learning to speak Italian if you don't know. It's not easy. It takes some training and some practice. But if you don't, you'll never be close. If you don't, your relationship will never experience real intimacy. So my challenge to you is to get busy on that now. See, I frankly should have put this in episode number one of this series because you need to know how to do this before you get into a relationship. Now, if you're in one right now, you can learn on the fly. (laughs) It's like you're in Italy. I got to pick up some words here real quick (laughs) or I'm going to have a bad trip. I got to learn a couple of words to kind of get along uh, in this foreign country. So if you're in a relationship, you might need to call me right away and you need to you need you might need a crash course on speaking unarguably 
so that this relationship you're in now doesn't fall apart. But frankly, most of us need some spring training here. We need some preseason. We need to learn to speak unarguably before we get into a relationship so that we start to create a healthy connection and a healthy closeness right out of the blocks. And so I'm right here to do that with you. I'm right here to help you explore how to get close in terms of compatibility, celebrating differences, and communicating unarguably. So to find me, it's easy. Roy at coachingwithroy.com or call my cell phone number 407-687-3387. So until next week, when we jump into a series, I might change the title. I don't know, but it's going to be something along the lines of relationship laws or laws for life, love and the pursuit of intimacy, something like that. Until next week, bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.